welcome to One Thin Dime, a comic book podcast focusing on the golden and early silver ages of comics. I'm your host, Sammy, a.k.a. The Comic Book Kid. Thanks for joining me once more as I travel back to a time when Simon and Kirby saw stars, Siegel and Schuster soared, and Bob Kane went batty. It's time to look at those characters that made his or her debut in those four-color fantasies that once only cost 10 cents. Please remember, any characters I discuss on this podcast are the sole copyright of their respective owners. So, with no further ado, let's check out what's on the shelves of the old five and dime for my Zen 29th episode. The early part of the 20th century was filled with new inventions and publications. A variety of pulp magazines could be found on newsstands, sporting an array of covers from the fantastical to the real life. Frank Muncy's Argosy led the way, followed by publisher Street and Smith. As with any competitive industry, these two powerhouses would revolutionize the magazine printing industry, bringing cheap thrills and racy tales to an affordable medium. These early pulps featured stories by science fiction and fantasy writers, including Robert E. Howard and Edgar Rice Burroughs. Street and Smith would bring popular characters from radio and comic strips to readers, including Flash Gordon, Doc Savage, and The Shadow. Street and Smith's Detective Story magazine, published between October 1915 to September 1949, would provide a vehicle for their Detective Story Hour radio program. Both magazine and radio show would use a very particular narrator, The Shadow eventually leading to the debut of The Shadow Magazine in April 1931. Much like the debut of a certain Man from Krypton that would spur early comic book publishers to find the next superheroic hit, Frank Muncy would not be outdone. Muncy wanted a pulp star to rival the popularity of The Shadow, and it would be in the pages of Double Detective Volume 3, Issue 5, April 1940, that a new mysterious hero would debut in the short novel, The Green Llama. The Green Llama was inspired by explorer and author Theos Bernard, dubbed the White Llama. Bernard had toured the countries of India and Tibet, seeking the mystical secrets of yoga. The popularity of Bernard's work led Muncie to believe that the Green Llama could be the character to rival the shadow. In the pulps, the Green Llama was the alias of Jethro Dumont, a wealthy and educated native of New York City. His travels led him to Tibet, where Dumont would study the spiritual teachings of Tibetan Buddhism, employing a mixture of mysticism and science to provide himself with superhuman powers with the use of radioactive salts. The Green Llama also incorporated his own magic phrase to help him change into his hero togs, Om Mani Padme Hum. Though the Green Llama would have a story history in the pulps, it is his debut in the comic book medium that comes to my attention. 
it would be Crestwood Publishing's prize comics imprint that would bring our Zen hero to the four color pages. The Green Llama would debut alongside Dick Briefer's The New Adventures of Frankenstein in Prize Comics 7, December 1940, fighting the criminal underworld in his Buddhist Kesaya robes introduced in the pulps. With that said, let's check out some background on this green-hooded hero in the first appearance flashback. This episode is going to be a bit different. After hours of searching the interwebs for reprints, summaries, or even a synopsis of either Price Comic 7 or Double Detective 5, I came up short. But I did find an interesting bit of history. A synopsis for who Jethro Dumont and his alter ego was, was provided by his creator. I want to share that top manuscript with you, dear listeners, for a little bit of insight into this character and his world. The topping begins. Dumont, Jethro, born New York, New York, July 25, 1913, son of Jean-Pierre Dumont and Janet Lansing, no siblings, unmarried. Education, A.B. from Harvard University, M.A. from Oxford. Ph.D. from the Sorbonne, also attended Duprung College in Tibet, inherited his father's fortune, estimated at $10 million. When his father and mother were both killed in an accident while he was still at Harvard, spent 10 years in Tibet studying under the Lamas, finally becoming a Lama himself, returned to America intending to spread the basic doctrine of Tibet, remove ignorance, and relieve suffering but realized that he could accomplish more by fighting crime. Never carries a gun, believing that this would make me no better than those I fight. Associated in all his cases with his Tibetan friend, Tolku Sakim. His more important cases, recorded in magazine and on the radio, are the case of the Vancing Ships, the case of the Mad Magi, the case of the Phantom Fingerprints, the case of the Crooked Cane, and The Adventure of the Perfect Prisoner. Love that alliteration. Because of his fondness for green, one of the six sacred colors, the American press soon dubbed him the Green Llama, and this name has stuck. Most of his cases have been recorded by his friend Richard Foster, although a few later cases have been told through Gene Levitt and Bob Mitchell. Realizing that the results of his cases may help to prevent crime, has agreed to let Columbia Broadcasting System use certain cases on the air. Author, The Influence of the Himalayas on Tibetan Philosophy, Semantics and Crime, The Influence of Demonology on Crime, Ecology of Social Crimes, and Notes on the Powers of Observation, Hobbies, Music, Literature, Chess, especially Three-Dimensional Chess, Magic and Experimenting with Telekinesis. Residence, 823 1⁄2 Park Avenue, New York, New York. And that, dear listeners, was the background for this jade-clad champion straight from his creator. Now that we've heard about this green character, what about the creator I mentioned? Guess this requires a look behind the Comet Curtain. Thank you. 
Ohio native Kendall Foster Crossan would begin his writing career through various projects for the Works Progress Administration, or WPA, part of FDR's New Deal resolutions. By 1936, Crossan would become editor for Detective Fiction Weekly, a pulp magazine published by the Red Star News Company. Like many creators at the time, Kendall would employ several pseudonyms while writing everything from pulp detective stories and to radio scripts. Crossan would write The Green Llama for both his pulp roots and Crestwood's comic line throughout the Golden Age, often changing the character's origins, paraset, and sometimes even identity, depending on the story's dictates. Kendall's resume also includes a number of television writing credits, including scripts for Perry Mason and 77 Sunset Strip. In the 1950s, Crossan would provide science fiction tales for magazines such as Thrilling Wonder Stories, as well as a number of genre fiction novels and anthologies. Along with The Green Llama, Kendall Crossan is also the creator of the Milo March series of mystery and spy novels under the alias M.E. Chaber. Crossan would pen more than 20 Milo March novels from 1953 to 1973, with his final 1975 March story remaining unpublished due to its politically controversial nature. The final tale was finally slated for publishing by Steger Altus Books during their 2020 publishing calendar. Not sure if that actually got made. Now that we know a little about the creator behind our transcendent titan, I guess it's time to explore the llama's 10-cent timeline. After his first pulp appearance in Double Detective 5, the Green Llama would make his comic book debut in Prize Comics, Issue 7. The Green Llama would have 27 more appearances in the pages of Prize from December 1940 to September 1943. Issue 24, October 1942, would find the Green Llama teaming up with various members of Crestwood's Gallery of Heroes, including Dr. Frost, the Black Owl, and Yank and Doodle, to battle Frankenstein's monster. Ken Crossan would continue to write and edit Dumont's tales. Unlike many creators of the time, Crossan would retain the rights to the Green Llama, and by 1945 would take his creation to his own Spark Publications. The Green Llama would receive an eight-issue series, December 1944 to March 1946. The series would feature covers and interior art by Mac Raboy. See my electrifying 11th episode for more on Raboy and his marvelous work. Cross and Spark work on Green Llama would continue to change the character's power set, now having the ability of flight. Along with these new powers, Dumont would also get a more traditional superhero outfit, complete with green tights and hooded cape. Many of these stories would have Crossan using the alias Richard Foster. Like many of his Golden Age contemporaries, the Green Llama continues to find a home in comics even today. Much like my previous two entries, The Black Terror and The Death-Defying Daredevil, 
Dumont and his Jade guys have been part of Dynamite Publishing's revival of many of these early comic heroes since 2008. But even before that, you will find appearances of the Green Llama in comics from AC and even Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. But where did I first encounter this green-clad go-getter? Guess it's time for my own heroic inspiration. My first introduction to the Green Llama was pretty much accidental. I had long been a fan of the Golden Age heroes and their creators. My love for the time period came about due to DC's Justice Society of America. Jeff Johns' JSA run from August 1999 to September 2006 had intrigued me, and like most feverish collectors, I began searching the back-issue bins for more appearances of Jay Garrick, Carter Hall, Al Pratt, and of course, Alan Scott. It was Alan Scott Green Lantern that had me pick up Men of Mystery, issue 25, published by AC Comics. Men of Mystery 25 was the special all-emerald issue. The comic included an interview with Golden Age artist and GL co-creator Martin Adele. As I read through the book, I was also introduced to other Golden Age greats, such as Inwin's The Green Turtle, Fox's The Green Mask, and of course, Crestwood's The Green Llama. One of the gallery sections included a who's who style breakdown on the llama. I was immediately intrigued by the list of writers and artists listed for the character, including Otto Bender, Gil Kane, George Papp, and Mac Raboy. These were creators I knew from reading a number of DC back issues and reprints. Men of Mystery also reprinted The Green Llama's Adventures from Prize Comics, issue 32, July 1943. When I picked up Dynamite's Project Superpowers, the inclusion of the Green Llama reminded me of that issue of Men of Mystery eight years prior, of course spurring me to dig the book out of the stacks for a revisit. And with that, I guess it's time, dear listeners, to close out our episode. intersection of the mystical and scientific has long been a staple of comic books from their earliest origins. In the Silver Age, this was the stock and trade of another green-clad character, the FF villain Doctor Doom, as well as characters such as Charlton's version of Dan Garrett the Blue Beetle. Though not as well known, the Green Llama can also be counted among this class of four-colored fantasies that bridge the fantastical and the quasi-scientific. If you like my show, please leave me feedback on your podcatcher of choice or just tell a friend. The show is available on Apple, Overcast, Podcast Addict, and Amazon Music, among others. I appreciate any creative comments that can better the listening experience. With that said, join me next week for a holiday tangential romp I'm calling my Spectral 30th episode. And just remember, all these adventures were once available for one thin dime. Thanks for listening. <laughs>